And if you have your Bible, would you join me in Jonah chapter 3 tonight? <clears throat> Jonah chapter 3. And I want us to take a look at a passage, a powerful passage of Scripture that can be a blessing <clears throat> to us tonight in Jonah chapter 3. And we'll uh, read a few verses, we'll pray, and then we'll ask for the Lord to help us <clears throat> during our time together. In Jonah chapter 3, God inspired these words, and the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go into Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went into Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, He had forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And verse 10, And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said he would do unto them, and... He did it not. I want to preach a very simple message entitled, Are You Positioned for Power? Are You Positioned for Power? Father, thank you for the time that we have tonight. Lord, thank you for this text of Scripture. And I pray that you would take your word and would you use it in a powerful way in hearts and lives tonight. Thank you for your word. Save those who may be unsaved, may be listening online tonight. Uh, Lord, those under the sound of my voice. And I pray that you... Lord, would strengthen your people and challenge us and convict us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, you found yourself in the book of Jonah. And if you don't know where Jonah is, just find Obadiah and go one more book. Obadiah is only like 21 verses, right? It's hard to find Obadiah. That was one of the hardest verses in those sword drills, you know, to find sometimes. But you're in a section of God's word called the Minor Prophets. Now, that doesn't mean that Jonah was 12. That's the section of God's word that you find yourself in. But what's amazing as you look at the book of Jonah is that there is very little prophecy that is given in the book of Jonah. So as you read the book of Jonah, it takes the average reader about 10 minutes. It's only 48 verses, one of the shortest books of the Bible, that you're tempted to think this is just a narrative or a story all about Jonah, or is it? I want to submit to you that the book of Jonah is not just a tale of a man and a whale. It's a story about God and his glory. Could I say that again? The book of Jonah is not just a tale of a man and a whale. It's a story about God and his glory. And in Jonah chapter 3, we're going to take a good look at God's power, and we're going to take a look at God's representative. And really, we're going to see five avenues or some avenues tonight how God displays his power. How does God take ordinary people to do extraordinary things? Well, the power of God's got to rest on our life. Really, five avenues or several avenues how God displays his power in our life. And the question I'm going to ask you tonight, and I trust the question the Spirit of God is going to ask you is, are you positioned for power? Would you look at Jonah chapter 3? Would you look at verse 1? And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go into Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went into Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. Man, would to God, we'd read those words in verse 3, so Jonah arose. Would to God, we would have read those verses back in chapter 1. How much better would it have been if Jonah just would have obeyed the first time? Look at all the chastisement he could have avoided. Look at all of the wasted time that could have been avoided. Man, it's so much better to obey God the first time. And where will you see the first uh, avenue, how God displays his power? Number one, when we simply pursue God's will. 
There's no chafing. There's no resistance. There's no argument in a conversation with God back and forth. Listen, the first avenue, how God displays his power, it's when God's people simply pursue God's will. It's always better to obey God the first time. I was preaching in New Hampshire, and there was a man in the church. He was a mechanic by trade, and he was coming to the service that night, but he met his family at a restaurant before the service, and while he was on his way to the restaurant, he got caught in traffic. There's no traffic in Myrtle Beach right now, is there? And you go out now, you know, you know, March and April, you kind of like go into hiding, right, in hibernation. You know, it seems like it's all overrun. You can't wait till September hits, right? And, and, uh, and he got stuck in traffic. And so there was a guy broken down on the side of the road, and he was kind of looking at him. And, you know, it just caught his eye because he's a mechanic. He saw the smoke coming out of the car at a certain place, and he thought, oh, you know what, man, that's either A or B, and I could fix that in about 10 minutes. And it's almost like the Spirit of God said, well, why don't you go fix it? And then he had the conversation with God. Have you ever done that? Has God ever prompted you to do something, and you didn't really want to do it, and you try to give God all these reasons, just like Moses, of why you shouldn't go and serve him? And, and all these verses flooded his mind about doing good to those in need. He said, you know, okay, Lord, I'll go and help the guy. You know, I'm going to be late to the meeting, but, you know, I'll do whatever you want me to do. He pulls over, and he looks at this guy and says, hey, I, I know I don't know you, but I'm stuck in traffic. I'm a mechanic by trade. I saw you're having some trouble. I might be able to help you. The man said, that would be great. So the mechanic got under the hood, and sure enough, he was either A or B, and he was able to fix it. And as he shut the hood, the man says, thank you. How much do I owe you? He says, well, you don't owe me anything. I was just glad that I happened to be here right by you, stuck in traffic. And he said, man, you don't thank you so much. You don't know what a help this is to me. Well, the Christian mechanic said, well, can I tell you what's been the greatest help to me in my life? He said, sure. He says, my life was like your car, broke and it didn't work. And no matter, but the difference was no matter how hard I tried to fix it, nothing happened until I met one man and he fixed everything. He said, really, who is that? He said, his name is Jesus Christ. And he had the opportunity to share the gospel that all of us are sinners and because of our sin, we have to die and go to an awful place called hell. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. We deserve to die and go to hell for every wicked thing that we have ever done. Even one wicked thing on our account is enough to make us worthy of dying and going to hell. But God loved us so much that he showed and displayed his love to us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for you. He died for me on the cross. He was taking our place, suffering the wrath of God that should have been on our lives. He took it all on himself and he paid your price and he rose again from the grave. And that's what we're celebrating on Sunday, on Easter Sunday. And he rose from the grave. And if you've never placed your faith in the Lord, you ought to do that right now. He could change everything. No matter how hard you try to fix your life, you won't be able to. And you probably tried, and how did it work for you? There's a better way, and the Lord can fix it all. Well, 20 minutes later, that complete New England stranger got down on the side of the road, got on his knees, and he trusted Christ and was born again. The power of God was not displayed until God's man simply obeyed. This revival in, in Nineveh, it didn't start until God's man simply obeyed and went in. Do you really think Myrtle Beach is going to live and walk in revival if God's people themselves aren't even doing it? 
Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. There's separation from the world, but his delights in the law of the Lord. And when there is a separation from the world and a, and a saturation from the word of God that you get yourself into this book, I tell you, there is a success that comes from it. It says that it'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water and his leaf will not wither whatsoever it doeth shall prosper. Listen, God's hand is on those who simply obey, simply pursue his will. Can I ask you tonight, where are you in your walk with the Lord? What is your next step with Jesus Christ. You know what? Tonight you need to take it. Man, because it what brings the power in your life when you simply pursue as well. But look back at Jonah chapter 3. Notice this. It says, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go into Nineveh, that great city. Preach unto the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah rose, went into Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. This was a huge city. And so a day's journey was 20 miles. This was a city that was three days' journey, 60 miles wide. They say if you were to take Atlanta, Georgia, where I grew up, and you were to erase all the town lines and all the county lines, it's 90 miles wide. They say the same thing for Houston, landmass. I mean, it's just, it's just huge. I mean, here is a city that rivals that, the size of Atlanta, Georgia. In fact, in verse number, in chapter 4, would you look at verse number 11? He said, and should I not spare Nineveh, that great city, where there are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and also much cattle. So 120,000 in the city that couldn't tell their left hand from their right, it's talking about kids. That's where scholars, at the time you add in all the other adults, all the other teenagers, all the other entitled millennials... I guess they had them too. I don't know. But you add in everybody else. That's where scholars have estimated 600,000 to a million living in this city. Now follow this. Here comes one man without radio, without internet, without TV, without any form of mass communication. He walks into this city. He preaches five words in their original language. It's eight or nine of the English text, depending if you hyphenate the word overthrown, but five words in their original language. And one of the greatest acts of evangelism swept through that city and almost a city of a million turned their heart to God. God displays his power when we simply pursue his will, and I love this, but God displays his power through one person. And you know what the point is? You can make a difference right where God put you. You can make a difference in your workplace. You can make a difference in the kid whose locker is five down from yours. You can make a difference with those that live in your community. God can use you right now in your sphere of influence. Throughout the history of time, God has never looked for the majority to accomplish his will. God didn't need an army to go in and deliver his people from Egypt. He needed one man who just believed God could do it. By the way, when you study the life of Moses, I read through it this past summer. Moses lived 120 years. He spent the first 40 years of his life thinking he was a somebody. Then he ran to the backside of the desert and he spent the next 40 years realizing he was a nobody. The last 40 years, he learned what God could do with a nobody. And God used him in some amazing ways. And you know what, friend? God can use you. God didn't need an army to go out on the battlefield to defeat Goliath, the champion of sin, Goliath. He needed one man who simply believed God was bigger than the giants. 
Throughout the history of time, God has never looked for the majority. Dr. John Getty was a wonderful missionary of God. He went to a mission field. They said, don't go there. It's barren. Nothing will happen. I'm glad he didn't listen. There's a tablet erected to his memory. It said when he landed, there were no Christians. When he left 24 years later in 1872, there were no heathen. This guy worked for God for 24 years until there was nobody left to convert. And you can make a difference. Never underestimate what God can do with one who is just submitted. And God can use you. God displays his power when we simply pursue his will. God displays his power through one person. But would you look again? Would you look back at at chapter 3? And would you look at at verse 2? It says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. Preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So think about this. God could have used several ways to reach the people of Nineveh, which was the capital city of Assyria. Assyrian Empire was massive. They were the bullies on the block, and they were known for their violence. In fact, they would go into cities, conquer them. They would take all of the, of the captured people. They would cut their hands off. They would cut their feet off. They would gouge their eyes out, blind them, and then let them live. I mean, really, how twisted do you have to be? The Ninevites would sell their kids to pay their bills. Nice group of people the Ninevites were. Now you begin to see a little bit why Jonah was hesitant to go there. I'm not, I'm not saying he was right in doing that. But you begin to understand some of the animosity because some of the war crimes and the atrocities that they would do, and now God's extending mercy to them. And isn't that just like our God? He extends mercy to those in distress and even to those who deserve judgment. And praise God that he does that. Because every one of us, we deserve the wrath of God in our life, and he extended us mercy as well. But he could have chosen several ways to reach them. Could God have allowed the king of Nineveh or Assyria to have a dream to communicate impending judgment was coming? Of course he could. How many times do we read about that in the Old Testament? God using dreams to communicate his will. Could God have physically showed up and delivered a message to the king of Assyria that judgment was coming? Of course he could. In Daniel chapter 5, we read about that as God showed up and he wrote a message on the wall for Belshazzar. Many, many Tico you farson you've been weighed in the balances and you came up short you're found wanting you know what god could have done that a theophany appearance of god in the old testament but god chose not to do that god chose the avenue of preaching preaching is god's ordained method of how he wants to disseminate truth to the world today The world looks at what I'm doing tonight, and they say, that's old-fashioned, that's antiquated. But you know what Paul said in 1 Corinthians? That the word of the cross to them that perish is foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Many of you can look back at your life, and you can look at a preaching service that you walked into where the word of God was preached, this book was open, it was preached with power and with passion, and God dealt with your heart, and maybe you got saved, or maybe you surrendered for ministry, or you made a life-changing decision. We can all look back at watershed moments in our walk with the Lord and connected many times to a preaching service. I was in Virginia Beach not long ago. The UPS guy showed up to deliver some boxes. He saw the huge truck and trailer that's out in your parking lot. He looked at the secretary. He says, what's going on this week? She says, oh, we're having revival services. We're having preaching every night. And the UPS driver says, oh, I didn't know that worked anymore. (laughs) 
Preaching is God's ordained method of how he wants to disseminate truth to the world today. And I tell you, when you have preaching in your life on a regular basis, and this book is preached, I'm telling you, there is a power that comes from that. There is a power in preaching. Monroe Parker was a wonderful evangelist of the Lord many, many years ago. He served after the wake of the Great Depression. Well, he was coming to a crossroads in his ministry. Uh, there was a church that actually sent him a letter asking him to become the pastor. They had a parsonage. It was steady pay. This was very attractive, especially after the wake of the Great Depression. Well, there was another letter from a pastor in Kentucky asking him to come and do a week of meetings. Well, the letter read something to this effect. It wasn't Bolivar, Kentucky. Bevere, Kentucky is where it was. He said, Dr. Monroe Parker, we live in a very wicked town, Bevere, Kentucky. Our town is overrun by gangs, by substance abuse, drunkenness, immorality, and violence. But we believe it is ripe for revival. We could be greatly helped by your messages. We don't have enough money to pay you, but we have a bed where you can sleep. We're looking for a man with a missionary spirit who would come and help us. Well, Monroe Parker looked at these two letters at representative of the two different choices or paths that he could go down. I could either become a pastor or I can continue in evangelism as an evangelist. He said, honey, I don't know what God wants me to do. I'm going to put these uh, two papers underneath my pillow. I'm going to pray through the night and I'm just going to see what God wants me to do. Well, the next morning they woke up and she says, well, what does God want you to do? And he says, I really think God wants me to continue in evangelism how could I become a pastor of a church if I don't have a missionary spirit myself? So Monroe Parker packed his bags and he went to a town, Bevere, Kentucky, to be quite honest with you, nobody wanted to go to. It was the armpit of the country at the time. Well, he was on a train in a very distant neighboring town. The, the train stopped to pick up some passengers. The conductor was just walking through the train. He looked down. He saw Monroe Parker and decided to make some, some small talk. He says, so where are you going? He said, I'm going to Bevere, Kentucky. The, the conductor stepped back. He says, you are. He says, what do you do for a living? He said, I'm a Baptist preacher. He took another step back in shock. He says, you are? He says, do you know what they did to the last visiting Baptist preacher they had in Bevere, Kentucky? Monroe Parker said, no, what? He said, the gang showed up in the middle of the message, shot him. The bullet went through him, struck his wife playing the organ, and both of them are buried out in front of the church. Well, Monroe Parker's thinking, oh, come on, did that really happen? I mean, here's an evangelist telling somebody else they're exaggerating. And that's not funny. <laughs> he just chalked it up just to an urban legend, a tall tale. Well, the train pulled off, and they finally got to Bevere, Kentucky. Monroe Parker stepped off the train. There was the pastor that greeted him with white, stately hair, was a sharp dresser, well-put-together man, elderly man. He said, Monroe Parker, thank you so much for coming. He said, Pastor, thank you for inviting me. We, I've been praying. We're going to have a great time together. And the pastor said, come on, Brother Parker. we got to get to the church for a prayer meeting. You know what they did to the last visiting preacher we had? Monroe Parker, remembering the story on the train, says, no, what? He said, the gang showed up in the middle of the message. They shot him. The bullet went through him, hit his wife. They're both buried out in front of the church. Come on, man. We got to get to the church for a prayer meeting. In the prayer meeting, the pastor literally prayed this. Oh, God, don't let him kill this preacher like they killed the last one. Nobody was amening louder in that prayer meeting than Monroe Parker. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, it came time for the service, and Monroe Parker writes about this in his book, that the lights were going on and off, this little makeshift tent and this little uh, uh, area that they had set up for the preaching, and, and the walls were kind of being pushed in. The pastor goes out to the back, comes back a few minutes later, his, his hair is messed up, his suit is disheveled. He said, Parker, the gang showed up out there, they beat me up. And Monroe Parker was like, that's real tough, beating up an old pastor. He said, forget the song service, I'm going out there. Monroe Parker was still in his prime. He walked out there, hundreds of gang members pressing down upon the meeting to destroy that place, to destroy the meeting, and to destroy them. Monroe Parker stood up and he cried with a loud voice, you think you're real tough beating up an old pastor? I dare you, if you have got any guts, I dare you to walk into this place and listen to Bible preaching. Well, the crowd's not going to back down from some sissy Baptist preacher. So the crowd filed in. And before those meetings were over, over 600 came to Christ. My friend in the ministry, Chuck Phelps, who pastors in Indianapolis, in the 80s, he went to Monroe Parker and he said, Brother Parker, thank you so much for your ministry. I'm in the ministry because of you. Monroe Parker said, you are. He said, son, you're too young to be in any of my meetings. He says, I know I am. But in 1939, you were willing to go to a town nobody wanted to go to. And in those meetings, my grandfather trusted Christ. And my grandmother came to know the Lord. And we've had, as it impacted, and the gospel has swept through our entire family. And I'm in the ministry because you were willing to go where nobody wanted to go. And you know what, friend? I am so glad for what God did in Bevere, Kentucky in 1939. But don't you want to see it in Myrtle Beach in 2022? And it starts right here with preaching. It's very telling where your attitude is towards Bible preaching to your attitude and attendance to preaching services. I realize that some that are elderly that can't get out, they can't drive in, I'm not talking about that. Man, when we do have a choice, if we really to believe preaching was the power of God, we'd be beating the door down to get in this place. Could I just encourage you, use the internet for something useful, download preaching. Man, we, ha we have the availability and the tools to get some of the best preaching on the planet. That'll zero and target your heart and help you in your walk with the Lord. God's power is displayed when this book is preached. That's why we're having meetings like this. God's power is displayed through one person. You can make a difference when you're submitted to the power of God. God's power is displayed when you simply pursue as well. But if you look back at Jonah chapter 3, notice what he says in verse 3. He says, so Jonah rose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Back in verse 2, he says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So in other words, Jonah, just don't walk into that city and use apologetics. Don't just walk into the city and use argumentation. Just walk in there and tell them, thus saith the Lord. Just deliver the message. Number four, there is a power that comes from his precepts, from this book right here. You know what David said? Through thy precepts, the word of God, thou hast quickened me. In Psalm 119, the Bible says the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. This instruction manual, it's all cited, and it has the power, this book, to transform your life. 
It was in a meeting just like this one at a revival meeting at a church. USA Today carried this story. I don't know why they did, but I'm glad they did. Somebody invited the local porn dealer of the town to come to this church and to come to the special meetings. What would you do if the local porn dealer showed up at your church? Well, he showed up and got born again. He heard the gospel, placed his faith on Jesus Christ. He, according to the article, he and 40 church members, they went down to the gas station, bought 40 gallons of diesel. The store owner went into his his adult toy store, pulled out unmentionable things lining the shelves, and he mounded it all up into a mound in the parking lot. They doused it with 40 gallons of diesel. The newly converted store owner flicked a match and a rag, and he finally got it burning, and he burned an inventory worth over $10,000. You know, I'm reminded in the, New, in the New Testament, remember in the book of Acts, when some of these people got saved out of paganism, they would buy their curious book of, of arts. And these were pagan books that, uh, that would cost a year's wage in order to purchase. And when they got saved, they burned them because they thought, man, I'm never going back to paganism. I wish I could have been there the next Monday when the adult toy store actually reopened. And now here come in people that are used to buying pornography and, and unmentionable things, uh, uh, you know, would line the shelves. And now we're unmentionable things, we're lining the shelves. Now Bibles were lining the shelves because now it was a Christian bookstore. And that's the power of the word. Hebrews 4, 12, for the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. When you read this book, this book reads you, and it goes, cuts us down to our most vital organ, to our heart. And this book is more relevant than tomorrow's newspaper. The Bible says in Acts chapter 19, so mightily grew the word of the Lord and prevailed. Don't you love that? God's word prevails. The most quoted prophet in the New Testament from the old was Isaiah. He said, the word of the Lord, that shall stand forever. That's not not a passive Hebrew verb. It's an active one. You know how you stand something up? The same prophet said that the word will not return void to the purpose to which it is sent. The very last word in the book of Acts in the Greek, the Bible says, Paul would go preaching, no man forbidding him. The word forbidding him literally means unhindered. It appears several places at the key points of the book of Acts. And you know what God is saying is when you get this book into your life and when you ingest it into the bloodstream of your spiritual life, that this book literally will rise up. It will proactively seek out the mission to which God is sending it. And this book has the power to change your life. Sir, are you letting this book impact you every day? Ma'am, are you letting this book impact you every day? Could you quote to me right now, if I ask you to stand and quote to everybody in this room a brand new verse that you memorized this week in your devotions? Maybe that's why you struggle. But God's power is on display when this book gets involved in our life. In 2022, wherever you are, would you take another step in your relationship with this book? Would you be willing to do that? Maybe to study it or to memorize it or to meditate upon it or maybe to outline it or to read it chronologically. Would you just take another step in your walk with this book? Well, notice the last one that I want you to see in, in Jonah chapter three. Would you look at verse five? 
So the people of Nineveh, this is the response. So the people of Nineveh believed God. That's important. Put a pin in that. They believed God and proclaimed the fast and put on sackcloth from greatest of them, even to the least of them. For word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king. And his nobles said, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God, yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn to repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? Look at verse 10. And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he said he would do unto them, and he did it not. He saw their works, and he didn't punish them. So here is where people will preach a decisional regeneration. You know what sinners do? They always try to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps, and they try to fix life themselves. Well, I'll just work my way to heaven. I'll just stack one good work upon another. And you know what the thing is? That's impossible for you to do. The Bible says there's not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. 1 Kings 8, 46, and from the book of Ecclesiastes. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You try to do that, you will fall short in your attempt. It's impossible. Even one sin is enough to keep you out of heaven. If you've never been saved by the grace of God, one sin is enough to keep you out of the place called heaven. Listen, heaven's perfect. God's perfect. I mean, he made heaven. Don't you think he knows what it takes to get in there? And you know what he said in Revelation chapter 1? Nothing's going to enter in it that defileth, that's detestable, that's an abomination, or whosoever loveth or maketh a lie. Hey, have you ever lied? You better listen. God's talking about you. And this is where some people look at this text and they'll go, oh, you know what? Man, these Ninevites, they cleaned up their act. Man, they got off the drugs. They got, this is the translation, they got off the drugs. They got off the alcohol. They got off the porn. Man, they got all the sin out of their life. They cleaned themselves up and then God accepted them. That is not what happened in the text. What happens first? Verse 5, they believed God. That they were headed the wrong way. God's judgment was coming. And they said, God, we don't want that God. We need you. Verse 10, their works, was just a product of the faith and the belief in verse 5. Do you see that? And you know the last way oh, God displays his power? And from verses 5 through 10 is when you repent of your son. Is when you simply repent. My friend, have you ever messed up so bad? It felt like God can never use you again. There was a running back who played for Georgia Tech, and they were playing California, and the running back got the ball. He ran through the line of scrimmage. He got hit by a huge lineman, and he got turned around, but he kept pumping his legs, and he broke the tackle. He rounded the corner, saw the pylon of the end zone. He dropped it down into a lower gear and started to head for the barn. You know what the problem was? It was the wrong barn. <laughs> He got hit so hard, he got disoriented, turned around, he was running the wrong way. Well, he looked behind him, the, his quarterback, the wide receivers, the linemen, they're all chasing He thought, everybody's after me. He runs into his own end zone, trips, drops the ball, California jumps on the ball in the end zone, touchdown California. The shot rang out, it was halftime. The teams filed into the locker room. I played quad A football in Georgia. I went to a public high school. We played for the state title in the Georgia Dome the year after I left. 
Of course, it happens after I left. You know, maybe I was the one hindering that from happening. I don't know. I mean, but it was big time. $3 million of scholarships in a graduating class. Our, our high school coach wanted to be the quarterback coach at Georgia. And so playing in an arena like that, when something like that happens on the field, the locker room at halftime is the last place you want to be with the coach. <laughs> Usually the coach walks in, the thing starts to fly. You didn't know had wings, chairs and lockers, you know. This coach didn't do that. All of Georgia Tech was just sitting there, their heads were down. They knew that kid messed up bad. The coach walked in, looked at his team, and didn't say a word. I hate that. <laughs> you could cut the atmosphere with a knife. For 25 minutes, 20 minutes, he just looked at his team. Not a word was spoken. At the end of halftime, he broke the silence saying, those who started the first half will start the second half. The team filed out. They couldn't wait to leave. But there sat that running back in the corner with his head down and his hands up. The coach walked back there and he said, son, didn't you hear me? Those who started the first half, I'll start the second half. He said, coach, I can't go out there. I scored a touchdown for the other team on national television. The coach got in that player's face who had sorely messed up bad. He said, son, that was the first half. This is the second half. Now you get out there. That kid was so fired up. He had a clean slate and a second chance. He set NCAA records for rushing and running the ball, and Georgia Tech won that game in a blowout. When I think of that story, I'm reminded of the book of Jonah. God called Jonah to go to the Ninevites, and you know what he did? He ran the wrong way. I believe he got right with God. And then chapter 3 and verse 1 are some of the sweetest words you will ever read in the Old Testament. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time. Aren't you so glad tonight we have a God of second chances? And third chances? seven times. And I don't know you've done, but I know what Jesus did. He died on a cross and he said, it's finished. And he paid for every one of your sins. You say, preacher, but you don't know how bad it was. Listen, I don't care what you did 15 years ago. I don't care what you did 15 minutes ago. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 7, that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from all sin. And the minute you say, man, I'm too wicked to be saved. You just called God a liar. And I'm not going to tread out on that ice. And you shouldn't either. And you know what the fact is? God can forgive and he can wash and he can cleanse. And he is so much bigger than the mistakes of your past. And you may have run the wrong way, but there is a power when you repent. And you say, God, I don't want that. God, I need you. As a Christian... Have you just been so satisfied in your Christian life? When was the last time that you had a repentance session with him? When was the last time you were so broken over the way that you spoke to your family? Or you were so broken over a wicked thought or a word that came out of your mouth or a sin that you did that you maybe even wept before God Almighty? When was the last time you had a session like that with him? 
Man, it ought to be a regular basis. Let me tell you, there is a power that is displayed in your life. And you say, God, I can't, but you can. It's not you cleaning up your life, but it's you resigning and just saying, God, I can't do it. God, would you forgive me? And God, would you cleanse this? And I'm telling you, we have a God right now that stands ready to forgive. What sin do you need to run to Christ for right now? If, you've been, if you're in this room and you've never been saved by the grace of God, you're watching online. And you have never come to a point in your life where you have bowed your head and your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ and you asked him to forgive you of your sin and you put your dependence on what he was doing on the cross as payment for you. Stop running the wrong way and run to Jesus Christ right now. Man, don't run from him, run to him. And the power can be displayed when we simply pursue his will. We realize God can use one person. That this book is actively involved and engaged in your life, and it is not. That's a decision you ought to make tonight. Through preaching, it's displayed in your life and through repentance. The question tonight is Are you positioned for power? You may have walked into this building, and maybe you weren't positioned for power. You know what the great thing is? You can be before you walk out. And maybe there's a sin you need to run to Christ for. Maybe there's something you need to stop doing, something you need to start doing. Maybe something that God's been prompting you to do, but you haven't followed through on it yet. Maybe that's your next step. Maybe another step in your relationship with this book. Maybe it's something that you heard in a sermon from the truth of God's word. Maybe it's getting pornography out of your life, or maybe it's you uh, displaying kindness to your family. And whatever it happens, whatever your next step is, man, would you just take it? Would you just follow the Lord and you stand back and you watch to see what he does and you can be positioned for power father thank you for our time together tonight lord thank you for this wonderful story this narrative that we find in your word father we pray you do your perfect work as heads are bowed and eyes are closed i wonder if you're here tonight and maybe you would be just like those people in bevere kentucky that maybe you've just been kind of living your life and, and the things you thought would make you happy, they've just left you empty. And it just keeps you chasing after the wind and you're searching, but you're not finding anything. And maybe you've cried yourself to sleep more times than you even care to admit, thinking, man, there's got to be more to life than this. And there is. And his name is Jesus Christ in relationship with him. And maybe your feet have come right up to that narrow gate, but you've never walked through that gate and trusted the Lord as your Savior. I wonder if you're here tonight and you would say, preacher, if I were to die right now, I'm not 100% sure that all my sins are forgiven and that I'm on my way to heaven. I'd like to go to heaven, but man, I'm not 100% sure that all my sins have been forgiven. Man, and you're thinking about eternity in heaven and hell and where you'll spend it. I wonder if you're here tonight and say, preacher, I'm not sure that I'm on my way to heaven. I'm concerned about that. Would you just pray for me? Could I do that? Anyone, would you just put your hand up and put it right back down in the stillness of this moment? Just say, preacher, would you pray for me? I'm not sure I'm on my way to heaven. Would you just include me in your prayer as you close? Just put it up and put it right back down. Where are you with the Lord tonight? My invitation really for the Christians in this room is for you to be positioned for power. Does God have a part of you or does he have all of you? Because I'm telling you, a part-time Christian is no match for a full-time devil.
When was the last time the power of God really was displayed in your life? Maybe you're here tonight and maybe there, were, there was something in the message that resonated in your heart and you thought, man, and you, that, that's exactly what I need. Or, or maybe the Spirit of God as I preach just pinpointed specific points of action, some take-homes that you need to do when you get home. Or maybe some things that you need to lay at the foot of the cross and seek forgiveness from. Maybe someone you need to forgive who wronged you. I don't know what it is. But I wonder if you're here and, and he would say, you know what, preacher, I want to be positioned for power. And man, there was something in the message that I needed tonight. And God spoke right to me. If that's you. Would you just raise your hand along with mine and just put it up, put it right back down. You know what, God, preacher, God spoke to me. Praise the Lord for you. Praise God for you. In just a minute, Kristen will begin to play. Could I just encourage you before you scoot out and get involved in the business of the night, would you just talk to the Lord about that? Maybe you find a quiet place at the front row here at the front step or maybe right there in your seat and would you just let the Lord have his way? Listen, God doesn't want you to live an apathetic Christian life and just exist. Stop eking out just an existence in your Christian walk. He wants you to live the abundant life and excel. But you need to step out and follow him and be all in. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I'm going to invite Kristen to begin to play. And as she's playing, would you just talk to the Lord just for a moment as you find maybe a place here at the front? And would you just run to him? Would you tell him that you need him? Ask him to forgive you? As the songwriter put it, rise up, O man of God, have done with lesser things. Set your affection on things that are above. Live for what really matters and let God use you. Would you just get on that altar with him? Submit, no resistance, no chafing. Would you just let him have his way? You fight the Lord, the power's gone. But you surrender and I'm telling you there's amazing things that he can do with ordinary people.